Welcome to Farscape Friday, Episode 7. We'll be discussing the Farscape episode, PK Tech Girl. I'm Kay here with my co-host, Taz. Hello. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of PK Tech Girl. Moya and her crew come across a dead Peacekeeper Command carrier, the Zelbinian, a ship very familiar to Rigel, which has been lost for over a hundred cycles. The ship has been well scavenged, but when they go aboard, they discover a Peacekeeper tech from Krace's ship. So this is a great episode. This is probably one of my favorites of the early season one episodes. And one of the main themes that we have here is acknowledging that sometimes you can never go home again. And we see it through the stories that we get with Aaron and John. So they've come across this Peacekeeper command carrier. It's, so these things are huge, huge ships. They're like the ships of the line of the Peacekeeper fleet. And kind of blindsides the crew, but in different ways. So while Dargo is all for scavenging star charts, John's worried that it's Krace's ship that's found them. Aaron is completely still and just staring at it on command. But she's interested in scavenging the weapons. But she's, you know, there's this tone that she's just very surprised to see it out here. And Rigel actually recognizes the ship as the one he was prisoner on right after he was dethroned from the peacekeepers. And it's the ship where he was actually tortured. So he has this very dark relationship with it. Yeah, and what's really interesting about the Zelvinian is that it actually is touted. It's kind of like the Hindenburg of the for the peacekeepers, where it's this giant ship. It's even it's supposed to be even bigger than the current command carriers because it's the largest and most well known of the peacekeeper command carriers. And then it just disappeared a hundred cycles ago. What's really interesting about this episode to me is that it's an homage to a lot of really classic sci-fi movies. For example, Alien and Aliens. And Yet in the end, we never really find out what happens to the Zelbinian, which is another similar thing that happens in the Alien movies, where we are never quite sure. I mean, we find out that it was, you know, the aliens that ate everybody. But there is this element to mystery that never quite gets resolved in PK Tech Girl. And I mean, for, for viewers that have seen the series before, you do kind of eventually find out what happens but right now the episode in itself is very self-contained and it leaves you with this open mystery because the episode becomes more about the inner relationships of the crew and less about the setup which is this giant command carrier that has been somehow taken down yeah they walk into the command area of the command carrier How's that for double C's there? And there's all this damage everywhere. And they, they recognize that it's been scavenged. They can't find you know the data crystals that Dargo's looking for. And they're wondering, like, what could have made all this damage to this ship? Mm-hmm. And hiding amongst all that damage is a PK tech. Her name is Jelena, and she's hiding behind a skeleton. It's kind of gross. But John sees her, and she comes out from cover... And immediately, Aaron and Dargo have their weapons on, and they are ready to shoot her and kill her because, obviously, she's a peacekeeper, and they do not like peacekeepers. It turns out that she's a technician from Krace's command carrier, and they know this because she recognizes them as the escaped prisoners. Having Jelena there, you get this window into what has happened to all the people that Aaron left behind on the command carrier after she was banished. And so this is kind of Aaron's window onto the life she left. And that's the part of the home that she can never go back again, which is one of the themes that Aaron has to work through during this entire episode. Mm -hmm. There's a really great moment where we see, because we've seen a lot of desiccated bodies, but they're all supposed to be the original crew of the Zalbinian. And then there's a dead body that's been burnt that Jelena recognizes. And when she says the name, Aaron immediately recognizes it too, and we find out that not only has Crace declared Aaron irreversibly contaminated, but he also has demoted her entire group. What what are they called? Her entire regiment regiment has been downgraded uh, because she calls what he was doing grotz work. You know, we're supposed to think that it's grunt work, and it's a real poignant moment because Aaron not only looks at Jelena and sees. This is somebody f- that could have been from my past, but then she finds out that that she essentially really doesn't have any chance to go home because her entire regiment is out for her blood because they will not be reinstated to the what we're led to believe was relatively high position 
until Aaron is dead. Yeah, and it, it really brings home to Aaron that that hope is just crushed, essentially. You know, there's there's no abstract dream or fantasy that she can have about going back because even if she were to return and she were to survive, you know, she would still be part of this demoted unit. And, like, all these people she cares about are, you know, their lives have been ruined, too, by her actions, even though, you know, it's really not quite her fault. Mm-hmm. So Jelena is from Crace's crew, and this immediately puts everyone on edge. And the big mystery is, okay, where is Crace, and how soon is he coming back? Because obviously they want to stay away from Crace. So Aaron begins an actual interrogation of Jelena. Aaron is a soldier, Jelena's a tech. There's this hierarchy between them that's that's very well established, even in this scene where Aaron is the outcast and Jelena is, you know, her, their prisoner. And Aaron's very harsh, and you kind of get to see what peacekeepers are like in their own environment. And it's very surprising to John. So I'm going to play that clip right now. You will remain in review stance until I dismiss, understood? Name. Division. Assignment. Jelena Renees. Speak up. Tramco support. Maintenance provost. Chin up, eyes locked. Why don't you give it a rest, Miss Drill Sergeant? Can't you see she's gonna pass out? I'm not like her. Not remotely. She is a tech. Not a soldier, right? No weapons, so why not lighten up? More flies with honey, that kind of thing. You clearly do not understand. She is from Crace's ship. That means he is nearby. She knows exactly who we are and would consider it her duty to lie to us. Point taken. But if she drops, you're not going to get your answers. This is my world, John. Don't interfere. And what I like about that one is she says, this is my world. And that's exactly what she is showing John, how she behaved in this world of the peacekeepers. And she grew up on one of these command carriers. You know, she lived her entire life in space in this military organization, and that's what life was like. Mm -hmm. And what I really love about that clip also is how she's interrogating Jelena, but also it's the very specific way that she's interrogating her. This isn't how she would interrogate a random alien. She's specifically using this inbred hierarchy, and she's using the peacekeeper, the peacekeeper mentality in order to break Jelena. Because it's, and it's so, I mean, I don't want to say cool because somebody's being tortured, but it really, you get a feeling that this is how Aaron would have behaved on her own on the ship. That this is how she would have treated Jelena, irregardless of the situation. Is this kind of super disdainful, eyes forward, command, you know, parade rest. You know, she's just very, very strict about it. It's, and the way it's shot is also very interesting just because it's, the, the ship doesn't have any lights. So the light is very dim and it's, you can see the sweat on everybody and you can see the damp from where all the systems have failed and where you don't have heating or cooling anymore. It's, it's really cool. And during this scene, Aaron is constantly circling around Jelena, you know, that interrogation technique to, to keep someone off their guard. They never know where your voice is coming from. And it's very intimidating. And, and John is clearly reading off of that and very uncomfortable by it. And, you know, he says, you'll get more with honey than you will with, I don't know what the analogy is supposed to be, but catch more flies with honey is what he mm-hmm. says. At one point, he, you know, basically does the dog treat reward system with Jelena. She starts answering questions. He gives her some food. They learn a little bit about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and to her credit, Jelena, even though she is, you know, the weaker, quote unquote, of the two of her and Aaron, she never loses her backbone. Like, she answers the questions, but she also spits out to Aaron, you're the traitor here. Mm-hmm. And, like, she does it several times. And, like, she's rubbing it in that Aaron is the one who is in the wrong here, that Jelena was faithful to her unit and her command when Aaron is the one who left and Aaron is the outsider here. And what's really cool is throughout this entire episode, Jelena refers to Aaron as Officer Soon. It's a really respectful way of referring to somebody that essentially you're calling a traitor. But it also, 
goes back to that same that same interrogation technique where even though she's super disdainful of Aaron and she just thinks Aaron is like worst scum of the entire universe, there's this level to their relationship of just it's almost like being in a different I don't know, like in medieval times where you would have the peasants and then you would have the people that had money and it was and yeah. you and you could Feudalism. never cross that barrier. Yeah. Very, very socially structured. Yeah. Or a very strict social structure might be a better way to say it. Yeah, exactly. This isn't even a situation where you get the feeling like in our military where, you know, if you're an enlisted man, there is a certain amount you can you can go up in the hierarchy. You're given the impression that if you are a tech, you could never possibly be a commando. Yeah, they're like they're parallel tracks. They're they're not one does not grow into the other. They're very different skill sets. Mm-hmm. And as we've seen over and over again, Aaron is very disdainful of the tech skill set <laughs> with John, especially. The other thing I want to point out, though, in that moment is is about, I don't know, it's towards the end where John is saying, you know, you get more flies with honey. And it goes back to our whole conversation that we've been having about how Aaron and John, they don't necessarily have better or worse plans on each other, but their plans are always so fundamentally different. Two approaches, two approaches to it. And, you know, Aaron actually does listen to John in some of these instances. I mean, not always, but when he asks her to back off and tells her to back off, you're not doing any good this, with this approach, she does back off a little bit. And it's more clear a little bit later on. One of my other favorite quotes of figuring out, you know, Aaron and Jelena and John in this little circle of, you know, who's the traitor here is when they find out that the Cheyenne... Shang? 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 <laughs> they find out that the Shang ship, who are the scavengers that killed Jelena's squad while she was on the command carrier after Trace left them, they're on their way back. And one of the first things Aaron does is basically go for Jelena's throat and, like, why didn't you tell us? I'm going to play that clip right now. What didn't you tell us? If this one doesn't cooperate, kill her. Is that why you're still alive? Because you cooperated with the enemy! I am a traitor. You are. Tell me. Stop it. That is enough. She knew they were coming back. She knew. It's enough. She's not a traitor. Not by a long shot. Grace never gave her a chance. Not like the chance we're giving you. Oof, that's so good. Not like the chance we're giving you. Yeah, and so he's already drawing these contrasts, right? And so I know it's sometimes a little bit hard to hear because there's a lot of background noise in this episode because they're in a very echoey, basically metallic construction site probably. But Jelena's, that's one of her moments when she spits out, you're a traitor, I'm not going to tell you anything. And John pulls Aaron off and gets in between them, but immediately he turns to Jelena and defends Aaron. And I just love that because... He's immediately sticking up for his crewmate. This person, he he genuinely likes Aaron, I think. And, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't want her to be accused of this. He knows it's tough for her. He doesn't want to be, have her be accused of being a traitor when he she was sticking up for him. And, and as he said, Grace didn't give her a chance. And there's, there's a lot of peeling back of what happened that day when Grace's brother collided with John's ship. And later on, Jelena gets the story from John about what his version of events is. Yeah, and John and Jelena in this episode, they eventually, you know, begin making kissy faces at each other. And I <laughs> began singing like John and Jelena up in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, because they literally just become the cutest couple. So it's not only the contrast we have with her and Aaron between their rank and between how they handle situations, because Jelena handles situations a lot more similarly to John, which is one reason that they connect so well so quickly. Connect. Connect. (laughs) At the mouth. (laughs) So we have that contrast between John and Aaron, but now we also have a contrast within the peacekeepers of the peacekeeper that Aaron could have become because now Jelena essentially has all the things that Aaron wants. She gets to go back home. She gets to not be irreversibly contaminated. She gets to not be a shame to the enti- to the people that she has been working her entire life to be, you know, to have proud of her. 
And she gets to make kissy faces at John, which I'm going to play a clip between John and Aaron after Aaron has seen John and Jelena kissing. And you understand for this moment that at this point in the series, I think Aaron has more romantic feelings for John than he does for her. Yeah. Yeah, play the clip. Would you stop? Hey! Look, hey, what happened back there was... None of my business! Yes, it was! You and I are shipmates. What I'm trying to say is... Haven't you just clicked with a guy? What? Clicked? Yeah, you know, found a guy attractive. Yes, but it, I didn't let it... In the beginning, I found you interesting. Me? Yes, but only for a moment. Good. It's um, good. I mean, it's, it's good to be on even terms. I agree. <sighs> yep. Yeah, um, so this is a good idea to clear the air. oh i love that so just to put a little bit context they're taking the defense shield of the zelbinian and um john and jelena you know bond over building it together over the course of four arms and then at this point they're taking one of the systems to moya to put the defense shield on moya so that's what aaron is carrying these really really heavy modules and she interrupts john and jelena making out and while she's carrying these things, so she's doing all this heavy, hard labor, and they're kissing. And she is just so resentful of that on top of probably, you know, her feelings being messed around with because she kind of likes John, even though she denies it. I think that that moment where she said, where John kind of is like, well, haven't you ever clicked with someone? Because he's really clicked with Jillian, like with Jelena. Like they are so similar and Jelena is essentially the opposite of Aaron. Jelena is a technical person. She likes science. She understands science. She's blonde, which let's put that out there. Like Aaron is very dark haired and Jelena is blonde and Jelena is soft where Aaron is hard. And it's a very, it's a contrast. So I do feel like it must be a slap in the face to Aaron that this girl who is her polar opposite gets the only guy so far that Aaron has admitted to liking. Yeah, and it's so awkward, by the way. It is, like, so middle school awkward. And it's, like, cringe for poor John and Aaron. Because John is, like, blindsided by this. Like, he was not expecting that from Aaron at all. Because based on how she treats him most of the time, you know, he had no idea that she kind of liked him. For a Mm -hmm. minute. Maybe. Not that she would ever admit it. (laughs) (laughs) She liked him in between homeroom and first period. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what it's like. But yeah, it it does feel kind of middle schoolery. And I think that it also calls back, though, to this moment earlier in the episode when they're finally on, they're on the Zelinian and John makes some comment about her growing up on on command carriers. And Aaron essentially tells him that the only reason she told him about her home was that he wouldn't shut up about Earth. (laughs) Was that he kept talking about, you know, the hills and valleys and oceans and rivers. And she was like, (laughs) that's your home. But when I picture home, I picture a command carrier. And you can feel in her that that was her attempting to reach out and not necessarily connect, but like kind of give him something that she doesn't really have a word for yet. And John literally took it as like, oh my gosh, sad puppy, you grew up on this command carrier. Yeah, yeah. She and John have just such interesting development because like I said, we start with that moment where we find out that she told John about growing up on a command carrier to kind of contrast with his idea of home and to be like there are other ideas of home, even if she wasn't explicitly saying that. And then we have the Jelena thing and then Ultimately, the three of them are traveling through the ship and there's this moment where they come upon something amazing. They don't really show us what it is, but I think it's just how massive the ship is. Yeah, it's a big, big open space. And so I'm just going to play the clip and then we can talk about it. 
If you guys want to use your know-how to... To what? To fulfill your vision of who we should be. To do good. We are peacekeepers. Other cultures hire us to keep order. To keep harmony. As well as assassinations, torture, kidnap. Oof. And you can see right there that the same way that when John was saying home, Aaron was picturing something different, that when John sees, you know, essentially space Nazis, that Aaron sees people that are keeping peace. She sees them living up to their namesake. Yeah, they're, they're, they're keeping order and they're keeping things civilized and all those great empire-like things that have been used to justify conquering other worlds for generations and generations. And what I like about it is she also kind of calls him on his own judgment of her, where she says, you want us to be your vision of who we should be, but we're not. We are who we are, essentially. And I really mm -hmm. like that because, you know, even though she is defending the peacekeepers, you know, they are her people, right? And he's only met like a handful of them. So he really doesn't have a place to judge. He hasn't lived in peacekeeper controlled space. He hasn't seen what kind of what the peacekeepers would call chaos that they have to control and maintain order within. Mm -hmm. All he has is Crace and Aaron and now Jelena. And the other thing I really like about this clip that we just played, so it's not only a window into Aaron's vision of the peacekeepers, but we also get to see Rigel's window mm. into the peacekeepers. And he's almost like a foil for this episode because through Aaron and through Jelena, we actually kind of get the human side pardon the word human but the the sympathetic side of the peacekeepers the sebation side the to the peacekeepers side right <laughs> because we see that them as individuals we see them as good people and yet we have rigel here reminding us that while aaron was keeping order in her world in his world he was being tortured by the peacekeepers and it mm. kind of goes back to this whole idea of the Zelbinian being this infamous, infamous ship. And the captain is a man named Durka. And Durka was, you know, the one who made this famous reputation for the Zelbinian of being a really dominating, really powerful ship. And he also is the one who takes a personal interest in torturing Rigel. Like, we get these flashbacks, PTSD flashbacks of Rigel because he goes over to the ship trying to confront his demons. You can see him in the memory of him in this really tiny little cage. You see him being dragged across the floor. All these humiliating experiences and painful experiences that we have with Rigel, through Rigel's eyes of what the peacekeepers actually are or can be. And it's mm -hmm. a very different world than what Aaron lived. When we see the Rigel flashbacks, we've seen Rigel as a powerful character. We've seen the puppetry in Rigel as, you know, we've seen Rigel up to his neck in mud. But in that moment, you never see him as, as helpless as he is in one of these flashbacks where he's literally standing in a cage and there's this towering person over him and Durka essentially is, is laughing at him and, and says that he thought that a dominar would be more dominating. When you contrast that explicit torture with what Aaron was doing to Jelena, you can tell that essentially Aaron, what Aaron was doing to Jelena was for information. What Durka was doing to Rigel was for entertainment. Yeah, and I'll point out that Aaron wasn't actually physically hurting um, Jelena. She was just threatening her with death and shouting at her. <laughs> she hadn't progressed to torture. She might have. Like, I wouldn't put it past her at this point. Yeah, um, she very well might have gone farther, but she didn't before before John stopped her. So the Rigel plot in this episode, you're right, it's a really good foil because we are faced with essentially at this point kind of three visions of the peacekeepers. You have John's vision of space Nazis. You have Aaron and Jelena, who really do see the peacekeepers as a force for good, and then you have Rigel who kind of knows the inner dark truth of the peacekeepers in a way that I don't think that Aaron, Jelena, or John even really do. No. Because, you know, Rigel has seen their highest ranked military. He's seen the guy that got to pilot the, the enterprise of the peacekeepers. And what he saw is this man that enjoys torturing, that enjoys breaking down prisoners. It's interesting you say that they don't realize 
what it is for Rigel, because I think that's true in any time that torture comes up, because it's so foreign a concept. Like you can say the words and you can kind of have an idea of what it means, but the lived experience must be so different and so traumatizing that someone who hasn't gone through that can only relate so far. And especially if they don't want to acknowledge it, it's so easy to just dismiss it as being, oh, no, it, you know, that's, that's not important enough to outweigh, you know, all the good that we do on the other side. I mean, you see that in our own society happening all the time. Mm -hmm. And I also want to talk a little bit about time, because We've talked about how, I assume Luxons have a similar lifespan to Sebations, where it's supposed to be long, but like not that long. And in this episode, you find out that the Zelbinian has been missing for a hundred cycles. And Rigel explains that that was the first ship he was on after he was ousted, which I think was 130, 135, something like that, um, cycles ago. So you realize that Rigel is clutching tight to himself as ruler, and he's already been out of power for over a hundred years. Yeah, because Hynerians live for a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. Because I do wonder how long he has been alive and how long he was king, or how long he was Dominar, because it calls back to that moment from the last episode where you had Dario admitting that he's been a prisoner and he's been on the run for longer than he was ever a warrior. So I do kind of wonder how long Rigel was Dominar before, I mean, because obviously he was raised into a life of royalty. And so, you know, but at the same time, I'm not sure if he actually was Dominar for longer than he's been imprisoned. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we, I can't remember if we ever find that out. We'll have to pay attention to that going forward. The other thing with Rigel that I really like that the show does is how they work with the cinematography and like the physical positioning of him throughout his both his walking over to the Zelbinian and also when he comes back to Moya, you get a real sense of his fear just through the physicality of how of where he goes. So when he comes back to Moya, he hides out in one of the access conduit, you know, those, those really small tunnels that he's been avoiding whenever he has a problem and they're like, oh, Rigel's small enough to fit in. But actually <laughs> this time he seeks one out and he actually blockades it and he makes a little like safety nest for himself. And it's this little cave where he's hidden and, you know, it takes a little while for Zan to find him when she comes looking for him. These memories have reduced him to to these very basic instincts. And it's really kind of sad and heartbreaking to watch. And then the puppetry is, is I just love Rigel's puppetry. You know, he's, his ear brows, you know, they bend and it's like sad face. And I'm like, oh, Rigel, I want to give you a hug. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you say reduced because I think that's what Durka fundamentally did to Rigel was you kind of get the feeling that Rigel has been rebuilding himself for the hundred some odd cycles since he's seen Durka. Yeah. Because now he does. He's still like, I'm the dominar. I'm in charge. And you have these, these flashback scenes where Rigel is reduced to, to near nothingness. Yeah. He gets his, his medallion of some sort of status ripped from him by Durka. Zan and Rigel don't have a lot of time together this episode but they do talk a few times and what zan's constant refrain is you have to confront these these demons of yours she's she's very much the therapist in this episode Mm -hmm. and so rigel does and he goes and finds durka's corpse on the command carrier and he sees that that durka has committed suicide and he sees the the medallion that we saw ripped from him in the flashback 130 cycles ago on Durka's desk, and he reclaims it. So Rigel has this very cathartic moment at the end, and I'm going to play that right now. You killed yourself, Durka. You coward. You once told me I would never leave your ship alive. You robbed me of so many cycles. But no matter what you did to me, I'll always remember one thing. You lose. <laughs> and then he then he spits on Durka's corpse. He has a lot of spitting this episode. Yeah. I love Rigel. Which, I mean, does go back to, like, the physicality of Rigel this episode. Yeah. So he gets to really express, you know, his triumph of surviving where he was supposed to die. And... He wasn't supposed to make it off the Zelbinian, yet he did, and Durka didn't. And that's this really great moment for Rigel. Mm-hmm. 
And speaking of Zan as a therapist, I think in the past with Rigel, she's been very delicate to a certain extent. She hasn't really pressed him or pushed him the same way that she has with John or with Dargo. And in this episode, you do see her really push Rigel. Like when she physically touches him, he kind of flinches back and, you know, informs her that they've known each other for apparently a lot longer than the rest of the crew has known each other. And you know, he reminds her that, you know, they, he's been he's known her long enough to see her bare blue backside, but not long enough for her, her to ever touch him. And then later in the episode, she really does, you know, she doesn't say, OK, you know, continue to hide. She tells him that he needs to go to the ship and he needs to exercise his demons. But she does it in a very kind way. Like it's it's firm and definitely like you really need to do this. But at the same time, she never she never puts him down or yells at him or anything like that. It's very much a very a supportive. Come on, you can do this. I'm behind you. Go do this for yourself. You deserve to have some peace out of this. Mm-hmm. Going back to the cinematography that we were talking about with Rigel, I really want to express that this is, I think this is a really clear homage to the Alien movies, the first two. Mm-hmm. Just like in the first Alien movie where they come across a ship that, you know, a derelict ship that's empty. It's, it has that very same feeling of slight unease, but everything is pretty much normal. And then things progress. And obviously this doesn't have that same horror that those movies do, like especially the same body horror. But just the cinematography is, is really cool. And it has that feel. And I think when I was re-watching this episode... I just started watching it and I was like, oh, this is so cool. You know, this is really gorgeous, too. Yeah. Like they do a really good job with the exteriors of the command carrier and the defense shield when that comes on. And even the design of the Shang ship that comes and attacks them. Mm -hmm. You know, there's it's just a really beautiful, beautifully shot episode. I think the mm-hmm. director on this one is Tony Tills, and he does a good job. Well, and more than that, you also have, I think, some callbacks. Like, you see Aaron's outfit in this episode and the gun that she's using. She uses this gun in future episodes. It's like a large, I don't know, like almost machine gun that she wears on cannon. her hip. <laughs> yeah, it's like a cannon that she wears on her hip. But she looks like such a throwback to Vasquez from the alien, from Aliens. Yeah. It was nice to see because of the way they've kind of been playing with Aaron's costume, you know, where she starts off in, you know, her military garb, and then she's kind of wearing like a tank top, and then she's wearing like a sports bra. But this is like the Aaron that I think of when I think of something that's really prototypically Aaron is like this outfit where it's like really functional, functional pants, shoes she can walk in. You know, I think she's wearing a tank or she's wearing like a shirt, but she's sweating through it. Yeah. And then a really big gun. (laughs) And then a really, really big gun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she has some really terrific moments in this. So getting back to kind of the plot, because I have to talk about Aaron being a badass. The Shang ship is coming back to claim their salvage rights. And I'm going to take a quick digression because um, Zan and Dargo are the ones in charge of stalling the ship. And the way Zan does this is Dargo's super pissed off that they, you know, Aaron and John are still over on, on the Zelbinian. The Shang ship is coming back. They're getting ready to attack. And Moya has no defensive capabilities, no offensive capabilities. And he's just swearing up a storm. And, and Zan transmits that image to the Shang because they respect strength. And it gets them to back off once they see a swearing Luxon warrior on their screen. And anyway, there's this moment afterwards where they have to continue to bluff. And I'm going to play it right now because it's just wonderful. Not my face they are afraid of, Dargo. You must continue the ruse. I cannot lie to an opponent in battle. It's not lying. Simply mislead them. For a priest, you certainly have a very flexible morality. Well, I apologize. It must be done and you must do it. I just love that because here we have sweet, sweet, peaceful Zan who is like, it's not lying, just mislead them. And you have, you know, stand up Dargo, who's the honorable, honorable warrior, who's like, I can't lie to them. (laughs) And I just love that (laughs) contrast between the two of them. And again, Zan being super firm about you must do this with Mm -hmm. him and not backing down. 
What's interesting for the about the Dargo and Zan thing also for me is that Dargo essentially gets to pretend to Captain Moya to be the captain of Moya, which is something that we've discussed that like everybody on this ship thinks that they should be captain like of this vessel. <laughs> and what's interesting is how uncomfortable Dargo feels about it because it's fictional. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the the Shayangs are I'm going to say their name wrong all the way. The Shayangs are attacking and Jelena and John, during their bonding moments, are actually, you know, they're repairing the defense shield that's on the Zelbinian to protect them. And they're in the process when the Cheyengs finally actually launch, you know, fighters to go directly and board the Zelbinian and kill them. John and Jelena are finishing up doing one of the processes. And John's got, like, two panels in his hands. They're like this. And the, the Shang is coming at the door, and he's banging on the door, and it's locked. But then he starts breathing fire. <laughs> <laughs> and John is like, you breathe, they breathe fire? Why did no one tell me they breathe fire? And it's just a brilliant little, um, little moment of aliens being completely alien. And so he can't defend them. And Jelena is busy doing things with the shield and she has no weapon and she can't defend them. And so they're waiting on Aaron who's running through the ship and running through the ship and then just drops down from the ceiling and blasts him with his gun. And this is a beautiful explosion. And that's Aaron. That's Aaron. <laughs> well, and then and then she says, "Sorry about the mess." Oh, right. it's so yeah. badass. Can I point out though that I think that whoever was doing who I love the art in this, and this is such a beautiful episode. But there were a couple of times when I'm like, "That's just not how you hold things." <laughs> like when Aaron is picking up the giant heavy equipment that they're taking to Moya, so that Moya will have a defense shield. She's literally holding it with her arms straight completely above her head. And I'm like, I mean, other than power lifters, and they only do that for like three seconds. You know, I've never seen anybody hold, like carry something above <laughs> their head. I was like, okay. And then the other moment was with the two panels were just because they look like suitcases. They and he's literally, suitcases. yeah. And he's like holding them apart from each other, but at this like, in this really weird way, like I'm, yeah, it's I kind of felt, angle. yeah, I was literally like, wait, if your point, like, just because of how hard it was to keep your arms up, because essentially he's doing like, like, um, he's got his biceps flexed. Yeah, it's it. like a Instead bicep of extending press. His arms. Yeah, and I was like, if you're actually trying to keep it apart, a more efficient way would just be to like step on the handle of one and like literally just like lift up with both hands with the other. I was, you know, what would be know. even more efficient. Is yeah. if you just hung them from a rung of a ladder somewhere oh, on yeah. opposite sides of the room. <laughs> yeah, or even if you just like physically put something. I mean, maybe something couldn't be between them, but. Yeah, maybe they needed an insulator, but. I have, I have no idea, but I'm literally like. It <laughs> Why? Was, I know. I'm like, what? <laughs> and it was like, you could see. And, and the, okay, the Aaron thing is so funny just because like. Claudia Black like gives it a hundred percent and you like even as a, even as a person who has like carried heavy things I was like okay I buy it just because she's giving it a hundred percent like yeah and she's just she's just being a badass and getting the job done and going through yeah I know that the, they spit fire why does nobody <laughs> tell me things? <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying to remember if the Shangs show up later they do they're Oh, okay, good. They do. I won't spoil when, but they do show up later. Yeah, because I thought so, but I was like, but I, I think that pretty much past this episode, just because of how little I remembered from this episode, I'm like, past this episode, I think it's just been too long mm -hmm. since I last rewatched. Like, I, there are great swaths of things that I kind of have vague memories of. Yeah, well, I feel that way with season one. Because, like, the first, like, three or four episodes I've seen a lot because when I keep introducing the show to people, you, you watch, like, the first mm. two or three episodes with them and they're kind of on their own. And then there's, like, the middle section. And then there's starting at, like, the end of season one, I think that's when I've rewatched it more mm -hmm. going forward because that's where the show really hits its stride. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about Jelena because I think that's yes. the one thing we haven't talked about. And I want to express that... This is why I love this show so much because they have this like character that is kind of a introduced in this episode and you develop empathy for her. You like her. You kind of wish she could hang around, even though she and Aaron have, you know, their 
oh, who gets John? But it isn't even really her and Aaron that are having the problem. It's John and Aaron. And that's what I like about the show is I don't think Aaron is ever feels like super jealous of Jelena herself. No. I think she's just mad at John. Yeah, her relationship with Jelena is is quite different. And it's not it's not catty or anything like that. I mean, she explicitly says in that one clip we played, you know, it's not my business. I mean, even though she cares because it's John, she never acts a love tri- triangle spurned woman with Jelena ever. And her relationship with Jelena is all hinged on them being peacekeepers together and being kind of in a similar situation because Jelena getting kissy face, <laughs> I guess is the term that we're using, um, because Delina getting kissy face with, with John, you know, she likes him and she has this window on another way of being that she really likes. And it's kind of similar to way Aaron is getting a window onto another way of being. Mm-hmm. And so Aaron and Jelena, how their relationship progresses is, is there's a point when they want, they need to scare off the, the Cheyenne ship. And so the idea that John proposes is, you know, contact Crisis ship and the big bad command carrier will scare them away. And Aaron is the one who's actually the de- deciding factor in whether or not they go through with, with this plan. And it's because she knows Jelena and she knows Jelena's position because Jelena's helping them. Like against all her PK training, she is helping them. She's like giving away peacekeeper secrets that she was sworn to protect. Mm-hmm. Let's play that clip. Yeah. Not if she doesn't tell him we were here. I'm a trusting soul at best, but not to a fault. The tech will not reveal our presence. And how can you be so sure about that? You know what happened to me. Being deemed irreversibly contaminated by grace. Contamination by enemy life forms. That could happen to you. Punishment is death. Or worse, banishment. I hope you will only ever imagine how horrible it is to never return to the life that you love. You are smarter than that, Jelena. Oof. Yeah, and she calls her Jelena. It's the first time in the entire episode that Aaron calls her by her first name. And mm-hmm. it's this real moment of understanding exactly what position Jelena is in because she was there and she's like imparting this wisdom of don't fuck up because it sucks. Mm-hmm. And I think it is interesting because she begins it by saying the tech, she refers to, te- you know, Jelena in the third person, you know, even though Jelena is sitting right there, you know, she refers to her as the tech. And she's even addressing her at that point. Yeah. And then she kind of addresses her as kind of a you, you know, and then there's that moment where she, she essentially tells Jelena, like, you are smarter than I was in this situation, you know, or that's exactly what she does. Yeah. Aaron has been essentially slapped in the face this entire episode by her past, by what she's lost. And I think so much more so than she was in that episode when the Marauders came aboard, because that was very much a her fighting for her own survival. This is, you know, despite the Shang coming aboard, that's pretty much the most dangerous thing that happens in this episode, is the Shang almost roasts John and Jelena. So the main conflict has been very emotional, and it's mostly been emotional for Aaron and for Rigel. And so, I don't know, it's just a really powerful moment. Yeah, so at the end, also, that that camaraderie and that empathy for each other comes through when they say goodbye to Jelena because Jelena can't stay. She has to go back. She makes that choice. She is smarter than Aaron, and she goes back to the Zelbinian to wait for Krace to return to pick her up. And they don't say a lot. Aaron kind of reiterates her point, and then she can't. She has a hard time looking at Jelena too, which I found showing her pain with this situation where she can't go back, but Jelena is getting to go back. And Jelena recognizes that and, and t- grabs her arm before she can leave and then shakes her hand. And it's just this really great Jelena acknowledging everything that Aaron has gone through and really understanding what she has given up and where she is right now. And it's really, really kind of touching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then when she even says goodbye to John later, it's not as emotional as that moment, that yeah. moment between Jelena and Aaron because when she says goodbye to John they've kind of formed this connection and they are just the cutest couple they are just <laughs> the cutest couple I can't even express it's really how sweet 
Yeah. And I mean, to a certain extent, Jelena was written for John. Like, I think she was in this episode, narratively, she was written for John to contrast the the easiness that John has with love with how difficult it is the road ahead for him and Aaron is. Yeah. How prickly Aaron is in contrast. Yeah. And so to a certain extent, you have to acknowledge that, you know, she was maybe written to fill that role and that's why she's so perfect for him. But they are literally just the cutest couple. And I would 100% watch an entire TV show about like John and his PK Tech girl going off and having space adventures. Yeah. They, they start the goodbye by being jokey. You know, John asks, what are you doing this weekend? And Jelena's like, I got to overhaul a prowler, but you know, I could get free. And then it's then it quickly turns tragic because neither one of them wants to go. And Jelena's like, you want me to stay? And he's like, I can't ask you to stay because this is no life. And in the end, you know, they both know they have to have to leave each other. And they just have this heartbreaking kiss and then this goodbye. And at one point, John says, like, life sucks, except Jelena points out it brought them together. And that's that's the the one thing that they did have this, what, eight hours together, probably, you know, a very mm-hmm. short, short amount of time. But it was just that instant connection, that instant love, love at first sight, maybe not love, but that the potential for it right there. Mm-hmm. They click, like he says, they click. Yeah. It is like almost an auditory click that you hear where she and he are just so well matched. Yeah. They're just so well matched. And it is painful to see her go. But yeah. at the same time, like I said, it, even though the show does that really well of having him and him and Jelena literally be just like, oh, you know, couple of the year, her interaction with Aaron bears more emotional emotional weight because I think that she and Aaron have more emotionally invested in being a peacekeeper and in their life as a peacekeeper than at this point Jelena has in John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That life as a peacekeeper and the life that Jelena is walking back to it and Aaron has given it up. There's the final moment of the episode is John and Aaron actually finally kind of getting through to each other about what they have lost. So Aaron is on command staring brutally out into space and John comes up and says, hey, and they have this this really great exchange where she says, basically, you can't understand what I'm going through. And he says no. And he finally gets through to her. So I'm going to play that clip. In my world, they say that Loss is the hardest emotion to deal with. In my world, showing pain is a sign of weakness. How can you not feel pain after what you've been through? Don't presume to understand me, John. (laughs) That's not fair. It's not fair, Aaron. You bash me all the time for being soft. Well, the fact of the matter is sometimes it's an advantage, and this is one of them. I think I understand you perfectly. There's no way you can know how I feel. If I somehow, someday get a chance to return to my world, walk around my old neighborhood, I see my old house, dad's truck, best friend's bike on the lawn, and then I get a chance to go inside. I walk through the living room upstairs to my room. I had a poster of Clint Eastwood. Good, the bad, and the ugly. And then I think, what if everyone were dead? What if all my friends and family were lying there dead? Now, what would it be like to go home then? I stand corrected. So John finally is able to explain to Aaron you know, what he is feeling and what he has lost and what he thinks about and what keeps him up at night. And she finally understands that they are kind of going through a very similar experience here. And there's finally this moment where they are actually talking to each other at the same level and at the same time. And they, they have this understanding that, you know, they're not alone in this. As much as it feels like they're alone, they are not. Yeah, and that loneliness... I think it's reflected really well in this episode because this is a sh- this is an episode about a derelict ship. And when you think of the imagery involved in a derelict ship, loneliness really is one of the top things that come to mind. And kind of the way that 
the crew, while being very connected and they're all talking to each other on comms, there are these kind of spaces where you see people just framed by by vast spaces or where you see very tight, tight camera work that make people look alone. For example, earlier in the episode, when Dargo is negotiating, <laughs> air quotes, with the Shangs, it's at first very close up on him. And he seems alone, and then it pulls back, and you realize that Zan is there. And so I think that this whole episode really is about balancing that all of them feel loss, and all of them feel this intense loneliness with the fact that they do actually have each other. Yeah, that's a really nice way to put it. Okay, so on to some of the more fun notes. On the white shirt watch, John's (laughs) white shirt does return. He is wearing it underneath his vest to start with, and then he sweats very prettily through it with Jelena, who's in a tank top during their furiously um, doing mad tech stuff to get the defense shield up. It's very, very wonderful. I, I admire people working hard. So what would you give this episode? I would give this one a five, but I think this also means we need to readjust our scale at some point. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this was a great episode. I just, I, the character stuff in here and the world building stuff and the stuff we get with Rigel and I just love it. I think they do a really good job of really building some of the core relationships and showing what the peacekeepers are like throughout this entire episode. Mm-hmm. I would also give it a five very easily. Like I said, it's the cinematography is amazing. The emotional stuff really hits hard. I mean, we've been talking about the emotional impacts of different episodes, and this just takes it off the scale. Yeah. I would also give it a five very easily. I think that I think that maybe we should go with our gut and maybe our gut says that we tend to like Farscape. So we're probably just going to continue giving it high ratings, except for the episodes that we give that we acknowledge are actually very, very bad television. Oh yeah, definitely. Because Farscape, when it fails, it fails hard. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That voice. The last note I want to make is we didn't talk about the Shang a lot, the alien race, but they're also a lot of fun to watch in this episode on their own ship. And there's this one guy who pops down from the ceiling. And it's just, they're a fun alien race, and I'm really glad we get to see them again. Yeah. And also the costuming. I mean, this goes back to just, you know, being a Henson Works production. Is Or, I mean, not Henson Works, but is it being a Henson? Yeah, Jim Henson. Yeah. Workshop something. Okay. Production. <laughs> yeah, this definitely goes back to being a Jim Henson production. You you again really see just a species that's entirely different for hum- from human. That was all I had. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Next week is that old black magic? Ooh, I think so. If not, tune in next week and find out what the actual episode is. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's that old black magic. Yeah, I'm pretty sure too. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. If you liked if you liked the episode, please rate us on iTunes because that's how other people find us. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.